Welcome to another edition of Buckhalter's Policies and Issues podcast. My name is Anthony Martin, and I'm a former acting United States Attorney and Chief Deputy State Attorney General and of counsel here at Buckhalter. And I'm the chair of the State Attorney's General Strategies Group. With us today is Annie Foster. Annie is Governor Ducey's General Counsel. Welcome, Annie. Thank you, Anthony. Glad to be here. Annie, you have a fantastic resume. It's uh, something that's aspirational for anybody, I'm sure, that's ever seen it. Can you start with telling us how you got to where you are, starting with the first question we all get here is, are you from Arizona? No, I am not, uh, as as most people. I, I think when you talk to most people in Arizona, I do think the trend's changing, but a lot of us are transplants. We've come here through you know, job changes, family relationships, whatever it is, we, we've ended up here. And Arizona is the land of opportunity, I like to say, you know, wherever you're from, if you're willing to work hard, uh, you can you can achieve pretty much anything that you want. And that's one thing I really appreciate about Arizona is that, uh, you know, I mean, I my dad was a truck driver. My mom was a secretary. I come from Maryland originally, but, you know, it, it wasn't like I, I needed to be in a certain circle in order to uh, achieve what I've been able to achieve in my career. And that's what I love about Arizona. So you grew up in Maryland. How long were you there before you moved out here? So born and raised in Maryland, I um, lived there until I was in my 20s. I went to college in uh, undergrad in Virginia, Western Virginia, at a small school called Mary Baldwin uh, University and um, moved back to Baltimore, worked there for a few years. So around the time I was about 24, uh, I applied to law school. I decided that uh, I just wanted to see the country and and I wanted to experience different things and uh, decided to pick up and moved. I went to law school in at Gonzaga in Spokane, Washington, go Bulldogs. And there I met my husband and, uh, you know, we ended up, he, he was from Arizona and that's how I ended up here. What made you want to go to law school? Um, I worked in Baltimore City, inner city Baltimore, and I was working with these kids who, you know, they came from families who were broken and they just didn't know how to do anything. They they were amazed at the world. I remember taking this one group of kids to Washington, D.C. Um, and, you know, if you've ever seen the movie The Wire, you understand or the show The Wire, you understand that the neighborhood I was working in. And uh, I took these kids to Washington, D.C. They had never been on, you know, the subway before. They had never seen anything. And, and it was really fun to show them sort of uh, a piece of my world. And I was really blessed with two parents who worked hard and cared a lot about their um, their children and their country and, and imparted that in us. And I wanted to pass that on. And so as I saw what they were struggling with, I said, I was sort of given this gift um, and I want to be able to share it with people and, and help them. And just like a lot of law students, you know, you want to change the world, you want to help the world. And, and that's how I ended up uh, in law school. You've actually done that. So I give you a lot of credit, like a lot of law students, but a lot of all law students somehow, you know, they, they take different paths, but you stay directly on the helping changing the world path without wavering, uh, which is uh, a lot of kudos to you and to, to all of us that live in uh, any jurisdiction where you've worked. So you got to law school, you're at, you get to Gonzaga. Uh, you wanted, when you went in, you wanted to do the, you felt like you want to do the public interest route. And you stuck right. with that. You get out of Gonzaga. You come to then come to Arizona for family reasons. And then what did you do when you got to Arizona? So my first legal job, I mean, I had a job before um, I passed the bar and everything, but my first legal job was at the Arizona Attorney General's office. You know, I always wanted to be in public service. There are people that go to law school and they want the big job. They want to earn lots of money, but my passion has always been in public service. And so that's where I went. I, I started at the AG's office doing child support enforcement, which seems kind of like Okay, that's an interesting job. Um, but I, I really didn't want to do criminal prosecution work. Um, that wasn't where my my passion was. It, it was to solve problems and um, kind of the, you know, 
foot in the door position at that time, they, the AG's office didn't used to hire brand new attorneys, except in a few roles. And um, the child support enforcement section was one. And, and while I was there, uh, you know, I had a caseload of about 500 cases. We um, worked with families to determine paternity and um, establish child support and had a couple of really interesting cases, um, you know, where, you know, there one, some cultural things were, were at issue where we had this man who had moved here from Africa and he didn't understand the concept of just having one wife and that, you know, child support was necessary um, because he believed in taking care of his family, but, you know, he viewed it as a whole big family with all the wives. And, and um, that was an interesting case. I also had a, a really difficult case where uh, we had a uh, former NFL football player who had child support and he had gotten injured and had not changed his child support um, um, order. And so he accrued this large arrears. And unfortunately, because he didn't change it, um, you know, the, the mother wasn't willing to waive some of it and he owed a lot. And we ended up going to trial over that. And I had to cross-examine his new wife who knew nothing about any of this. And that was just really difficult because you get involved with these people and, and see this side of their lives where, you know, they, they are good people, but maybe make bad decisions or don't know the full picture. And, and unfortunately they're held responsible for things. Um, and, uh, you know, but ultimately it was all about the kids, making sure that the kids were being taken care of and making sure that the state got paid back, which was another sort of passion of mine as part of that job, because, you know, the theory behind child support is if, if, uh, the parents are supporting the children, then they don't need to be, uh, supported by the government. And, and that's a, a piece that I took to heart. Because uh, I do believe that, you know, people should work hard. And um, it, it was a very interesting job as, you know, my first two years. But after that job, I, I was kind of getting, you know, antsy. I wanted to do something different. And I was very lucky that an opportunity came open within the AG's office to represent the Arizona Department of Public Safety. For those who don't know, that's basically Arizona's state police agency. And um, my brother uh, is a state troop in Maryland. And so law enforcement, you know, is near and dear to my heart. And with that, I was able to um, sort of feel like I was supporting him, even though I was here in Arizona. And um, I said, I wanted to make sure that those men and women that were out on the street, you know, got the protection um, and the guidance that they needed, um, because they do such a great job supporting our communities and protecting our communities you know, my job was to protect them. And I took that to heart. That's not to say that we didn't have arguments at times where I said, no, you can't do this. And they're like, of course we can do this. And, you know, we obviously had some, some disagreements there on search and seizure issues and those types of things, but um, it was a really, really fun job. I, I got to do lots of, you know, interesting work, uh, anywhere from procurement challenges that I, I dealt with to, you know, search and seizure law on the criminal side. There was like licensing issues because the state agency issues uh, uh, concealed weapons permits and, um, you know, just different licensing issues. So it, it ran the gamut, public records, open meeting law. I mean, it, it was it was a true generalist job and um, I really enjoyed it. And, and so then from there, after Arizona passed SB 1070, I was really involved in helping law enforcement to implement that law for those what that was, don't. What was 1070 so everybody knows, Annie? Yeah, for those that don't know, SB 1070 here in Arizona was sort of the show me your papers law. It was adopted at a time when uh, the border crisis was really bad, not as bad as it is today, unfortunately, but mm -hmm. really bad. And the state was looking to take some action where it could. It ultimately resulted in the United States versus Arizona case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the law, part of the law was upheld that law enforcement had to implement, which was if you 
believe, have reasonable suspicion that someone's here illegally, you have to ask about immigration status. And um, so we had to implement that, but we had to do it in such a way that was constitutional. Mm -hmm. So I worked with the state law enforcement training uh, board and um, a number of other really talented attorneys that were much more senior than me. Um, and it was, it was a really valuable lesson in terms of how to interpret statute and how to implement statute. And um, on the executive um, you know, branch side, it, it was just a really valuable lesson. And because of that experience, I got asked to come in-house at the Department of Public Safety. So you were, you were, this, you were an assistant attorney general, because a lot of people don't, don't realize how this works. They have no reason to. You were an assistant attorney general, but the way state governments often work, you were, your portfolio, you were uh, exclusively committed to the Department of Public Safety, right? Correct. Correct. So you were an AAG working as counsel in the Department of Public Safety and then the DPS here in Arizona also has in-house counsel, right? That is correct. So that's what you're talking about now. Yes. Okay. And so I went in-house and, um, you know, the funny thing is, is it's, it's interesting. You talk about the different roles of counsel um, mm -hmm. being in-house versus being at a law firm or being at the AG's office. Those roles are really different. And a lot of people don't understand that, you know, when you're um, counsel at a firm or counsel at an attorney general's office, your job is to provide advice. And then you sort of walk away. You have no responsibility for making sure that it gets implemented or done. When you're in-house counsel, and this is across the board, it was some of the most valuable advice that I received. I went to a CLE on you know, the difference between in-house counsel and making that transition. And it was the most valuable advice I received saying that when you're in-house, your job is not just to give the advice and walk away. Your advice is to make sure it gets done. And that is very true. So if, if anybody's looking to become an in-house counsel, that is the difference. Your job is not to just advise and sort of walk away. Your CEO, your um, administrator, your director, they're going to be looking to you to go, okay, this is your advice. Now, how do we get it done? And you're going to be part of that solution. Um, and that, you know, obviously has transitioned into my role here in the governor's office. Um, I obviously advise the governor and our senior team on anything and everything. Again, you know, it's a true gentleness job. It, I, I tell uh, other councils in agencies across state government, the in-house councils, I say, I need your help to keep me informed of what's going on in your agencies, I said, because when the governor looks at me, like he expects that I know the law in whatever area it is, uh, whether I've worked in that area or not. And, um, you know, he if if I don't know, he expects me to say, I'll find the answer. And uh, so uh, I really have my resources across state government that I reach out to and find the answer. Uh, this is not how a big, job I do how, by myself. How big is the Arizona state government? So people have an idea of just the breadth of your responsibility. I want to make sure that everybody's appreciates how much, you know, how, the, the again, the breadth, uh, not just depth, but the breadth to start with of your responsibility. How how first of all, how big was DPS? How many people were at DPS? So DPS, DPS had about twenty five hundred employees, um, and that was sworn and civilian. So it was a little uh, about half and half between sworn and civilian. So yes, and and I was the general counsel. I also served while I was there as the um, executive officer or chief of staff, as more people know it. Um, and and I had the opportunity there to oversee. Um, you know, the uh, the PIO, our, our communications um, department, our leg legislative liaisons, our EEO office. So I had some supervisory responsibility there, which is partly what led me to the job in the governor's office. And I can get into more detail there. In a yeah. Minute. So you're a DPS, 2,500 people. You're the chief lawyer and you're the chief of staff. And the chief of staff for people that don't realize there's, there's a few different models. But for the most part, in big state government like that, the director, the the chief, the principal uh, can't be everywhere, and they have to be able to not just delegate 
it's not a scheduling role, just a scheduling role. You have actual decision-making authority that stops with you under the assumption, the operating assumption, that the principal has delegated that directly to you. And for 90 some percent of those decisions, they don't go, they don't go beyond you. You they were people ask you for the decision, you make them and life goes on. The machine keeps moving based upon your decision. It's a it's a huge role, uh, decision-making role to have. It's it splits that difference between uh, that difference that people talk about between suggestion and decision making. And there is a chasm between those two that if you haven't had both of those, it's impossible to understand. And as the chief of staff at DPS and the general counsel, you had a lot of power of suggestion, but you also had the responsibility of decision, which is, a again, you cannot, uh, there's no way to overstate the difference between those two. And uh, so that, that's a big deal. That's correct. I will tell you the model was a little bit different at DPS um, because we had the director who's like the principal. We had um, the deputy director who was sworn and then myself as the chief of staff who was not sworn. My role was really to make sure everything stayed on track and the trains kept running um, all across the agency. So um, we had four different divisions within the agency and I was sort of expected to stay on top of everything, make sure everything was getting done, be the liaison with the um, you know governor's office to the extent that was necessary make sure that you know the director and the deputy director had everything that they did they needed in order to make the decisions that they did so um you know it, it was a little different model there but exactly what you're talking about is it, you do have some decision making authority you definitely have influence um, which is what I always I always ask the question I ask when I'm trying to get things done is okay who who's the one that's that's talking to the principal who's the one that is putting the paper on the desk of the principal because um ultimately we all answer to our principals but when it gets right down to it the person that is is talking to them on a regular basis and presenting issues to them you want to make sure that you have a relationship with them because that's the person that's really going to help you get whatever you're trying to get done so that role led me to um, a relationship with the general counsel um, my predecessor here in the governor's office and the deputy general counsel because there was a lot of liaisoning that had to happen. There were some lawsuit issues that I worked with them on and, and just some other administrative issues. And so when an opening um, came uh, at the governor's office, um, you know, I, I kind of said, hey, uh, I'm interested. That's the one piece of advice I always give all my interns is um, make sure people know that that you're interested because if, if they don't know that you're interested, sometimes, you know, they're like, oh, well, we don't know who to talk to. To, and usually it's the one raising their hand going, hey, I'll volunteer for that, or I'm interested in that, um, who really gets noticed. And so uh, I just said, you might have somebody in mind already, but I am interested. And um, because of my reputation and my work ethic, um, I, I was able to get the job. A lot of people think that I worked on the governor's campaign or I you know, represented one of his businesses before or was really close with someone in his circle. And that's just not true. And that's why I say Arizona is really uh, truly the land of opportunity because um, in a lot of other places, I just wouldn't have had the opportunity to to get where I am. But again, it really boils down to what's your reputation and what's your work ethic. And uh, my predecessor told me, he said, Annie, you're one of the few attorneys that it doesn't matter what time of day it is, I can pick up a phone and I know you'll answer. And that's really important to the governor. Um, he, It doesn't matter what time of day, if he needs something, he wants to know that his people are available. And um, I had proven myself that way. Yeah, that's kind of a lesson for life. Both of those. Those are two good lessons for life is to let people know that you're that you're interested in what you want. I mean, you got to be got to be careful sometimes, especially in government. If people think you're too interested in the next spot. But right. you got to let them know that you're 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 willing to step up, that you're willing to take on that more responsibility. And then you also have to show them. Right. It's just, it's a show me thing right. as well. And you got to answer the phone and you got to you have to 
take things to ground when you're charged with the responsibility of projects, no matter what they are, and that stuff compounds. And you're, you make wonderful, those are great points I didn't even think of um, in when I was mapping out our conversation, but those are wonderful points, Annie. So you go over to the governor's office from DPS. What do you, do you go straight in as GC? No, I started as the deputy general counsel. Um, uh, now Justice Kate King, uh, Arizona Justice Kate King, who's on the Supreme Court, was the deputy general counsel at the time. Um, and she was leaving to go into private practice, kind of take a step back a little bit for family reasons. And um, I was able to come in and work with the current general counsel, who was uh, Mike Liberti, now Judge Liberti on the Arizona District Court. And uh, we worked together um, as a really good team. You know, I had this law enforcement background that he didn't have. He had a, a litigation background that I didn't have as much of. And so I learned a lot from him. I think he learned a lot from me. And, and I think together we served as a really good team um, for a period of time. Um, but he wasn't long for staying in his role. And so, um, you know, whether he had something greater in mind for me when he hired me or not, I, I'm not really sure, but um, he only stayed maybe another nine months, I think. And um, when he left, recommended me for um, the GC position. And so I took over when he left um, and was, you know, just blessed with another great opportunity and challenge, um, a challenge that I didn't really understand I was getting, um, you know, a what, year and 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 what do you, what, what is that challenge? Annie? Cause I, I, people just don't understand again, the, in the response to the breadth and depth of the responsibility, the Herculean task it is to be in your role every day. So yeah, what well, is I the mean, role of the GC? You, you asked about, you know, how big state government was. There are 30,000 employees <laughs> in state government, approximately, right? I, I don't know the exact number, but at any given time, we have law enforcement out on our streets and, and things can happen there. Um, we have um, Department of Transportation people that are out on the street. Anything can happen there. Um, but, you know, it, it can be Thanksgiving and, you know, there's a major accident that happens on the highway and, you know, it gets shut down and, and people want a response. Now, does that mean that every single situation like that I'm in the middle of? No, but, you know, we have wildfires that we have to issue declarations of emergency for. So all of the big things, people really don't want government involved in their lives until there's a big issue. And then they're like, somebody needs to fix it, you know, right? Like they, mm -hmm. they don't necessarily care who fixes it. They just want somebody to fix it and somebody to take care of it. So um, there are a lot of issues. I think, you know, one of the questions you, you had said you were going to ask is about, um, you know, what does a typical day look like? I will tell you, there is no typical day. I knew, I knew the answer to that. It's funny. <laughs> I, uh, I come in in the morning and, and I do have a calendar that's planned out and expectations as to, you know, what's going to happen every day. Um, and, and some days are, are, you know, a little easier than others, but generally you, you just don't know what might come up in any given day. Um, I will tell you that, uh, a couple of years ago, we had a new comms director start and his office is right next to mine. And he said, Annie, he was like, it's just really weird that my office is next to yours. He was like, I just don't quite understand it. Like, shouldn't I be closer to the ledge people or, you know, somebody else? And um, after about two months, I think he finally understood why our offices were right next to each other, because whether it's a public records issue or a, um, you know, some media issue, he can always just step in and be like, hey, let me run this by you um, to make sure that he's not saying something that that is wrong or um, that's going to get us into hot hot water some other way, because as lawyers, we just think about things a little bit different. And I was told by a boss one time that the gift I have is I can always think five steps ahead. And he's like, you always know what's coming. And I don't know if I, it's just innate. I don't know if that's something that I learned, you know, in practice, what it was, but um, generally I, I do think five steps ahead and, and 
and sometimes it annoys my colleagues because they're like, Annie, we're talking about right here. And I'm like, yeah, but let's talk about right here, but let's think about, you know, five steps ahead. It's kind of like a chess game. You have to make sure that you're thinking ahead because if you're not, then you're going to be behind the ball. So um, from that perspective, um, you just have to be on your game all the time. And nobody is, um, you know, I have my days where I'm just like, I, I, I missed that or, you know, I, I could have done a better job, but um, that's where your resources come in. You have to rely on other people who are good and, and make sure that, you know, there are good people around you that you can rely on. And I'm really lucky that I have a lot of good attorneys in um, our agencies. You know, I have a decent relationship with some attorneys in the AG's office that I can call and be like, hey, you know, this is going on. Is there a way that we can work through this together? Or, you know, do you have a recommendation here that, um, you know, I can use and then obviously we have outside counsel that we contract with as well. Um, so I, I've just got this team around me of, of resources that I use on a regular basis. And you have to, you have to lean on them, right? You have, you've got to, you have to have the, the right people in there because you're going to have to use them. There's no, you don't have any throwaway spots uh, in your role of people you can plug in that you have to depend upon. You, right. you have to be able to utilize all of them. How many cabinet agencies are there, Annie? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm not sure of the total. I, I think there's 35. 35. Uh, which Jeez. is which is big. Uh, there, there's kind of a dispute. You know, some of them, whether you count them as cabinet agencies or not. Um, I've heard the number 42 as well. That's not counting the like 200 boards and commissions that are within the state. Yeah. Um, and so obviously our bigger agencies, like our Department of Child Safety, right? That That is one that is a huge issue. Our Department of Corrections, Rehabilitation, and Reentry, um, that is a, a huge responsibility. Department of Public Safety, Department of Transportation, you know, some of the larger agencies, um, those are the ones that get the most attention just because it's sort of high risk, um, high frequency issues that come up. And uh, I, I've talked to those directors. I, I usually present, we, we do agency director retreats. And I always talk to them because I have this philosophy as an in-house counsel that first of all, in-house counsel should be working their way out of a job. It's never going to happen, but that's really what we should be doing. And um, so I give them an acronym called PPTSD and it stands for personnel, policy, training, supervision, and discipline. And I talk to them about how if you're focusing on all of those areas, you have the right personnel in place and your hiring practices are in place. You are, you know, have good policy. It's it's in line with, you know, other standards of policy um, and, and you're reviewing it regularly. You're training your employees on what the policy should be. You're supervising them, you know, adequately and disciplining when appropriate. And I don't always like the word discipline because sometimes it's just accountability. But if you're if you're focusing on those things, a lot of times you're minimizing your liability as an agency. And that's not just li legal liability. It's also, you know, sort of your business liability in terms of making sure that trains are running on the track. If you're if you're focusing on those things, then quite frankly, you're going to make yourself more successful and give a path to success. And that's what I talk about in my role as general counsel is is thinking ahead, not just rushing into something and and trying to. Um, you know, get something done so quickly that you don't think about, are we focusing on all the things that we need? Are we planning ahead? So if we do get sued, because you're going to get sued, you can't, it's in-house counsel, you cannot prevent somebody from suing you. But what you can do is put yourself in the best position possible so that when you do get sued, you have a great defense. Um, and that's what I would say, you know, I, I lean into about one of the accomplishments. I know that was one of the things you asked about is, um, you know, during COVID, and I know lots of people have lots of opinions about COVID and, and whether things were done well or not. But 
you know, truthfully, we were learning on the fly. We came in the morning that the, the governor declared that emergency. And uh, I don't think that was on anybody's radar that we were going to do that that day. Um, we knew it was coming and we knew that, you know, the um, the wave of COVID was coming across the world. Um, but I'm not sure that any of us came in that morning going, oh, this is going to be a big day. We're going to do this. And, um, you know, just the next year and a half really um, change the perspective of everyone. But the one thing that I really pressed our staff with is to make sure that as we were in decision-making mode, we made sure that we thought ahead as to how we would defend the lawsuits that we were pressed with and um, that were potentially coming. And it really served us well um, because we were able to, to win every single lawsuit um, and every single challenge that came our way. Uh, the, I think we did have one, in one lawsuit, there was an issue that that we sort of lost on, but um, it was a due process issue and, and we fixed it pretty quickly. So ultimately we were able to win all of those cases and that that was a major accomplishment. Would you say that's one of your proudest moments that you've had? Uh, and one you definitely didn't see coming. I mean, five years ago, nobody says, oh, yeah, I want to fight a major global pandemic when I'm in the governor's office. Nobody sees that coming. You say that's one of your one of your proudest achievements was navigating the, yeah. that in, in the world. Navigating the, the legal issues that we were faced with there. Um, and and um, I, I think it was it was very difficult on a number of levels. But, um, you know, when when you have the Constitution at your back and, and you're just saying, like, look, like, you know, we're, we need to focus on constitutional principles, um, you know, quite frankly, that that's what you you base decisions on and um, on the legal side, right? I'm not talking about, you know, other issues, but on the legal side, you look at the constitution and you base it on the constitution, um, you know, you're going to succeed. And, and um, I, I was very happy that we were able to do that. Yeah, I think everybody, but a lot of people were happy that you all were able to to make to succeed there's some things that you just no matter you know the partisan everything behind that you just want the the state to succeed the uh, what how or how how does the general counsel with the governor in arizona how does it compare to other states do you have is there are there other models that are different than the way arizona operates with the with the general or utilizes the general counsel in the governor's office um you know, I, I meet with uh, general counsels. I have a monthly call with general counsels across the, the nation um, in other governor's offices. And, you know, from time to time, we have conferences where we all meet up and we talk about things. It's it's interesting, you know, partisan issues aside, it's interesting how we all seem to have some of the same issues, you know, public records issues and, you know, litigation issues. But, you um, the, the one thing that I, I will say is it, it really depends on your relationship with your governor. Um, there are some people that have, you know, a, a just different relationship with their governor because they have known each other for years and worked closely together. So that person, you know, might be in the governor's office every single day and in every single meeting. Um, that's not our model. Um, I am in a lot of meetings, but we also kind of focus on what is needed. And, and um, you know, am I, am I using my time effectively um, in attending meetings? So um, I, I, you know, am very close with him in terms of if he has a question, he doesn't hesitate to reach out to me. But um, I also am not, you know, like every minute, you know, checking in with him as to, you know, what are you doing right now? Do you need something? Um, he really kind of takes the Ronald Reagan model of trusting uh, his staff to manage things that are going on and keep him informed. And so um, we do that. Our senior staff works really closely together to, to manage all of those issues and present him with solutions. I've seen other states who have much bigger general counsel's offices. So I have, it's myself, I have a deputy general counsel and an associate uh, counsel um, who are amazing. And they really keep the trains running in the legal shop. Has it always been that size? Was it that size? When no, 
No, when I came in, we did not have an associate counsel. Um, so we were able to add him. And, and you know, during the school session, we also add two uh, interns. Um, we have legal interns who are um, in law school and they're really helpful with research and writing. But generally, I, I know there's one um, general counsel's office in the country, I won't say the state, but um, they have like 10 attorneys. And I'm like, wow, what I could do with 10 attorneys in an office. But most um, offices are anywhere from, you know, one or two to four councils within the office. And, and I think generally between, you know, the agency councils and the AG's office and outside counsel, I, I think you're able to manage things that way pretty well. Yeah, and it's uh, and yeah, it's a utilization of resources depending upon what issues arising, right? If it's a, a DPS issue, you've got the entire DPS legal team to assist you in providing what advice you need on that specific issue. So it's not just right. you against the world in the governor's office that you have to manage everything uh, with two people. So that's a that's an important point too. It's a, a utilization of those resources that are already there. How do you get ready for a job like that? How do you prepare to have a, a position? Like, is there a way uh, to prepare for a role as as broad as what you have? Um, I will tell you that I think my experience uniquely prepared me for it. Um, also, uh, just because it, it was in my role with the the Department of Public Safety, you know. I dealt with such a myriad of issues. It wasn't, it wasn't very specific. So it wasn't like I'm just dealing with environmental issues or I'm just dealing with, um, you know, licensing issues. I mean, I, I ran the gamut. And so granted, I didn't have any background in water issues, but, you know, I had to learn that. Right. And, um, you know, environmental issues, but, but generally when you're dealing with the governor's office, public law issues like public records, open meeting law issues, personnel employment issues, knowing the personnel systems um, that your state is dealing with is really important. Um, knowing, you know, the legislative process is important. Um, also understanding the public safety side, because when it comes right down to it, your governor is really going to need to know, like, how do I protect myself? What are my powers? And, and because of the fact that I had represented the Department of Public Safety, you know, I, I was really clear on sort of what powers the state had in terms of taking action when there was a disaster or, um, you know, some other major issue might happen. That background, I think, uniquely, you know, prepared me for this role. Um, you know, but I think you can come at it with any background. I know a lot of lawyers who come from a litigation background and election law issues, right? Political type issues are definitely something that, um, you know, come across um, and are at play in a governor's office. Um, but you just learn it. And like I said, I, I think the biggest thing is understanding. You kind of have to put your ego aside because if you think that you're going to be able to touch every issue and research every issue yourself, you do have to trust your people and you have to be able to, to rely on other people's expertise. And that's just a management principle that I think as attorneys, we're not always taught, right? Uh, a lot of times we are taught, like you have to know for yourself and you have to do the research yourself. And if you don't have that skill of being able to delegate and being able to reach out to other people and rely on them, um, you're going to have a hard, hard time in a job like this, because there's just not enough hours in the day. I mean, you know, if, if I had, you know, 48 hours in a day, I'm still not sure that I'd have enough. Cause you know, then I could maybe actually get the sleep that I needed, but yeah. Uh, right. But, yeah. um, you, you know, mentioned water, Annie, I don't want to cut you off, but you mentioned water. I don't want to go away from yeah. that. I have yeah. a feeling it's going to be the answer to one of my next questions, but the water issue in Arizona, what what is the situation that we're in here? Because this is the whole West, Southwest, right? And the, even yes. the even the West period. Yes. Can, can you give us an idea of the what the status of the water scenario that's going on right now in the West and how the, the governor's offices are engaged in that? 
So, um, you know, water in the Southwest, I mean, if you're not, if you don't know that it's a problem, you're, you're not listening, right? Um, bottom line is kind of what happened is back, you know, 100 years or so ago when water was allocated um, from the Colorado River, um, it was allocated and, and people weren't using it. So there was plenty of water. Well, now with the growth that we've seen in, you know, Las Vegas and California, Arizona, a little bit, not as much, mostly because we have um, some other issues and other sources that aren't solely the Colorado. Um, but when you look at um, water resources in the West, um, the growth that has happened in the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, what we've seen is, is now people are actually using the allocation from the Colorado River that they were provided and water is getting a lot more expensive, but we we're also seeing that, you know, we're in a um, historic drought in the Southwest, which means that, you know, the water isn't coming from the snowpack up North in Colorado and Montana um, that, you know, quite frankly, we need in order to fill all of the, the allocations from the Colorado. So this past year, Governor Ducey with the legislature, it was our initiative, but the legislature, um, especially Speaker Bowers and President Fan, um, really pushed uh, to change some things with uh, water law here in, in Arizona. And uh, they created this water authority or sort of amended a water authority that was already there so that the state of Arizona can actually own water going forward. And there are lots of ideas out of Israel. The governor has traveled to Israel a number of times to see what they're doing on water because they have some of the sim similar issues that we do. And, um, you know, one of the ideas that's come out of that, that the governor talks about a lot is desalination. And what this is, is, you know, having a, a plant that is near the ocean that um, takes ocean water and removes the salt from it and turns it into drinking water. And um, they, they're doing this in Israel right now. There's a saying in Arizona that whiskey's for drinking and water's for fighting. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of what we're starting to see. And so um, there are plans, um, you know, kind of underway, Not, nothing started yet, but um, we're working to uh, work with, uh, you know, our counterparts in Mexico, because for those that don't know, um, you know, Mexico is just a three hour drive from Arizona. Um, you can be at the beach um, in Mexico in just three hours. And- from you mean from Phoenix? Yeah. From Phoenix, yes. And so um, we're working with our counterparts in Mexico to try to, you know, find a way to to make something like that happen and shore up Arizona's water supply going forward. Is that something that you work with the other border, the other area state, the adjacent states on, as well as Mexico, or is that something that it's once each state has its own? Discussion? Yeah. The Something that is innovative and new for Arizona. I'm not aware of other states that are actually working on this. Um, there's discussion in California of something like this happening, but what they're saying is it's, you know, 10, 20 years off. Um, and anybody. What are you, what are you thinking? Or, or what's I, the governor I, saying publicly? Yeah, I will tell you that um, the gov governor Ducey is not a, you know, we'll see this in 10 or 20 years. Um, he's a let's get results now. And so um, we're trying to move things forward. Obviously, he's not going to be in office, um, you know, after January, but, um, you know, get things moving forward and, and hopefully we can get something sooner rather than later so that, um, you know, we're, we just shore up Arizona's water supply, because I, I think there's there's a lot of confidence in, in what we've got going on now, but we want to make sure that Arizona is sustainable for the next hundred years, you know, not the next five, 10, right. 15 years. Um, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about making sure that our state is sustainable for um, the foreseeable future. What do you think, would you say water is, water is among the top three uh, issues that you see on the horizon for uh, subsequent administrations that they're going to have to deal with that's completely nonpartisan, apolitical, that you just, public policy issue that you're going to have to deal with if you're in the, the executive of Arizona? Yeah, I, I'm not sure what is nonpartisan necessarily. Um, I, I will say um, border is one of water. the big issues. Water, border, and um, 
Um, you know, I think education is always an issue. Um, Arizona is sort of ground zero for, you know, new innovative education ideas. And I think that, you know, in the future, we'll, we'll see more of that. So those are the three issues that I would say are, are the biggest ones, you know, and, and the other thing is just population increase. Um, you know, anything that comes with population increase, you know, we're, we're sort of a young state for those that don't realize it. I mean, Arizona became a state in, you know, 1912, I think it was. And, and so, um, you know, we really started growing in, you know, the 60s and 70s. And then, you know, every 10 years, there's sort of like a bubble where all of a sudden we see a, a huge growth pattern and, and then it might calm down a little bit and then another growth. But um, Arizona is such a great place to live that I really see, um, I, I see more people wanting to live here going forward. And it might be a hundred degrees um, in the summertime, but um, I, I'm not lying when I say it's a dry heat and, um, you know, it, it feels a lot different than somewhere where there's a lot of, uh, moisture in the air, humidity, and, um, you know, you just, Maryland. it's different than Maryland. Yeah, for sure. You find a way, you find a way to, to survive it. And, um, I'd, I'd much rather have a problem of shoveling sunshine than so shoveling. Yeah, that's a good, that's fantastic. I'm going to use it. I've used everything else, but I'm going to use, I'm going to use shoveling sunshine the next time yeah. I post. Uh, brethren give me a hard time about 118 or something like yeah it's fun shoveling snow buddy but uh the uh and what's the best advice and we'll wrap up here but what's the best advice for attorneys or citizens that want to interact with the governor's office because it can be daunting um or, or uh, when the governor's office interacts with you uh but either way what's your best advice for uh for practices that uh, they want to interact with the governor's office, whether it be businesses or citizens or attorneys, what do you think there? So number one, we have an office of constituent services and our office of constituent services, you can find um, the governor's office online, azgovernor.gov. Um, and it provides different ways to interact with the governor. But, you know, the number one place is go to constituent services. We have a, an email address where you can email. And our goal is that everybody gets a response um, pretty quickly. That's good. Um, you know, I'm not going to promise it's what you like to hear necessarily, because, you know, we, we can't do things that aren't in our um, realm of responsibility. But um, that's number one. And I will tell you across the country, almost every governor's office has that. Um, but if you're an attorney or if you're a business person trying to find out who in the governor's office is your counterpart, um, I appreciate when people call me and especially other attorneys and are like, Annie, I am dealing with this issue. It's with another state agency or whatever. And, you know, I just, I, I'm struggling, like we can't get it figured out, or I want to make sure you're aware of that. I welcome that because I don't always know what's happening with 30,000, you know, employees across the state and, and what issues might be out there. And Governor Ducey really welcomes trying to fix problems, uh, you know, he, he doesn't like paying attorneys, right? Like attorney's fees are, are almost a waste of money for him. So how can we solve the problem before we have to get attorneys involved? And so from that perspective, I just think that if you really have something going on with a, a governor's office or a legislator's office, reaching out to their office, it can be daunting, but a lot of times they want to help you. And it's, it's not that they don't want to help you. It's just that they might not know it's even happening. And so here in our office, um, you know, the constituents are number one and the governor wants to make sure we have good customer service. And so from that perspective, uh, you know, we we try to solve problems before they get bigger. So I would encourage anybody again, you know, in my short time that I'm going to be still at the governor's office, I, I welcome anybody to reach out if you have an issue. Um, and if I don't know, I'll I'll connect you to the person that you should be talking to. Um, and that's been my experience in most governor's offices. Well, I think everybody appreciates that. Yeah, that's just just having that ability to, or having the ability to at least reach out and get some direction, even if you don't have the answer and hearing from somebody is a, in my experience is that's a big deal in and of itself. And uh, yes. you can, you, they can help you 
get to where you need to be. And a lot of times you were just going, going in the wrong direction, actually. And just that, that advice on who to call is, uh, is, can really change whatever you're trying to, whatever you're trying to run the ground. I think that's firsthand. And I think a lot of people appreciate that. Anything else you want to bring up, Andy, as we wrap up here that, uh, that I didn't mention, or you wanted to, you wanted to discuss? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that, you know, over the last um, almost eight years, Governor Ducey has just done, um, you know, some amazing things. And uh, again, you know, people have their opinions um, right or wrong, but I, I will just tell you that um, our office works really hard to make sure that government works for the people. And, um, you know, I, we want to have left it in a better place than it was when we came into office. And, and I think we've done that. You know, one thing that we didn't touch on is sort of the process improvements that that have been done across Arizona in terms of just really making sure that government is working on metrics. A lot of times, you know, the Governor Ducey says that if you're not measuring um, or you're not keeping score, then nobody really cares. But once you start keeping score, then people care and um, they want to do better. So, um, you know, we, we've we really done a job of in implementing metrics within our... Um, What's our an example, Annie? What's an example so people have something to... Um, for instance, is, um, you know, and, and things have changed over time and I don't have any metrics on top of my head right now, but I know when the governor came in, um, in 2015, he implemented a licensing sort of rehaul. And for instance, school bus permits, it was taking, you know, like months to get those issued. And they were able to get it down to like, you know, from 45 days to 15 days to get a permit issue. Oh, wow. Right. And and it's just with process improvement. And, and I think that we all need to be thinking about that. And as attorneys, we need to be thinking about, you know, that what is that metric of how do I quantify my job? And it's it's not always easy as attorneys other than billable hours, right? But that's not necessarily saying that you're doing a good job or you're not, which is why my focus is on, okay, you know, are we prepared when we get sued? And, you know, what does it look like when we get sued? Are we able to um, win those lawsuits um, because we have the right things in place? And, and we've followed the law to put ourselves in, in a best um, case scenario for when we do get sued. Um, I, I think all lawyers need to think about what their metric is and what their value added is. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoy talking about that with people because I think we don't think about that all the time. Um, being a lawyer, being an attorney is a customer service job. And I will tell you, I don't think any of us were sold that when we went to law school. Um, but um, it is a customer service job, whether you're a prosecutor, whether you're in-house counsel, whether you're at a firm, um, you have customers and uh, they're expecting something from you and your success is really going to depend on um, what that customer service looks like. Yeah. And if you're if you're not measuring, you're not managing. Right. Is that what he right. says? Right. Yeah, it, may, it makes sense. It's not always the advice you want to hear, because that means it's a lot more work to start with for somebody. That accountability that follows that is uh, can be a, a tough pill to swallow sometimes. But if you're 45 to 15 days on busing on permits, that's that's quite a that's quite an accomplishment because that's that's not just one of you didn't focus just on busing you probably had a hundred that you were trying to improve on and that's taken one down by you know what is that threefold for the people okay. that uh, that wanted to get into that imagine that and, and take that and scale it across all of state government so any that's a and the, the governor that's a, a fantastic accomplishment for all of us that live in Arizona and maybe everybody else that uses Arizona as a, as a measuring stick that uh, use that example to get their own states in order. So that's, that's fantastic. Andy, I think that's it for, for today. And I uh, hope everybody that, uh, that listened, uh, actually I know everybody that listened to this is getting a, uh, has got a, a lot of information that I know that they didn't, they didn't realize uh, to the extent to, to what the governor's general counsel does in the role of the governor's general counsel, not in just in Arizona, but across the country. And that's, again, that's something that can be scaled. They're all very similar. There's a few that have some legislative uh, responsibilities, uh, but uh, a few models, but all somewhere in the same, it's the same sport 
across the country. Yeah. So, and I would say I, I totally skipped over tons of stuff, right? Like, you know, I mean, course, I was yeah. very involved. I talk for four hours. <laughs> yeah. Several legislative agendas, um, you know, on gaming and different things along those lines. And then obviously overseeing all of the litigation and even participating. I mean, I, I um, you know, really participate in our litigation um, closely uh, when we have it. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of everything. Um, it can be a little bit much at times, but uh, that's why uh, the job is fun. Yeah, absolutely. And you see, you've, you've obviously thrived in it and, uh, and everyone's better for it. So thank you for your time, Annie. And again, it's Annie Foster. and She's the general counsel to Governor Doug Ducey in Arizona. Uh, we appreciate your time. I know how busy you are just from listening to everything you have to do over the last hour. Uh, we appreciate your time. And again, this has been the Buck Alders Policy and Issues podcast. My name is Anthony Martin, and we look forward to having you on the next episode. Enjoy and have a great day. Thanks.